Time has not always been measured. Not in the way that we measure it now, in years, months, days, hours, minutes, and even seconds. As we measure time with such precision, time becomes a non-renewable resource that must carefully be managed. We dare not waste time. Humans have created complex systems to extract as much as possible from every moment of every day. The unhappy byproduct is that we find ourselves with almost no room for savoring our joys and accomplishments. Though time cannot accelerate, the blind sprint in which we are caught makes us feel as though time goes by with increasing speed. Our lives are stuffed and stressed. Anxiety threatens to erode our souls. As we run faster and faster on the wheel of life, God's word whispers what can only seem absurd to us. Don't worry. Don't be anxious. Be at peace. God lovingly and patiently moves at a sustainable pace and rhythm, but it is too slow for us. Yet the clock ticks on and time rushes past. We need to pause, to reflect, to listen to our patient God who lives and moves and breathes patience. This series will seek to redirect us toward the patient posture of our God the God of the universe, who is never anxious. Well, here we go. Week three in our Practices of Patience series. And as Reed let the cat out of the bag today, patience and politics. Ooh. I saw before our service, one of our uh, uh, attenders in our church posted this. Next week has been exhausting. <laughs> oh, that's great. Isn't that just like define the world that we live in? It's just there's so much. And today we're going to talk about some of those dynamics. Well, we're doing something new going forward. Um, we're giving you an opportunity to text in questions during the message. And, um, and then at the, at the conclusion of the message, we'll choose a question or two to respond to. Um, because we're really interested in how the room is thinking and, and how we're processing together. And um, so that's the number there. We'll show it again a little bit later. But if you want to take a snapshot of that real fast, I'll give you five seconds to do so. Five, four... Three, two, one. Okay, very good. Very good. And that's it. Okay. Well, let's all stand together and we'll read the scriptures this morning that we will be working through. I'll read the references. All of us together read the actual text. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. <laughs> in all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. John 14, five through six. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. 
the word of the Lord. Mm. You can be seated. When I first told our pastoral team about this series, Practices of Patience, this message was, was forming uh, in my mind. And um, I'm just going to invite all of us to take a deep breath. And as you do, uh, or as you kind of settle in to what we'll talk about today, uh, I want to acknowledge my mentors and good friends, Anne and Jared Roth, who are with us. They retired from Evergreen Christian Center this last June and are visiting us. Can you wave and we can say hi to you guys? Now, you've noticed how I'm already diffusing any responsibility for what I have this morning by telling everyone that these are my mentors. And let me just clarify before they take any heat that is owed to me, you taught me to be a courageous leader. So that much is true. But anyway, okay. Well, some, some preliminary thoughts or preamble. Um, the challenge of addressing political dynamics. Um, today, what I want to share with you is an aspect of... Um, living today in the American political system. And because of it, it's one aspect or one point of view. And so, of course, it will be incomplete. And there's many more things that, that should be said. And uh, you're already forming questions in your mind that you can text in, and we'll see if we can respond to one of those. But I really believe that this is a shepherding conversation um, based upon our conviction. that we've talked about this quite a bit before that we should not live in the circle of concern, but in the circle of influence. And so if you're newer to us, here's the circle of concern. The circle of concern um, is, I saw Stephen Covey in his book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, talked about the circle of concern and the, the circle of influence. The circle of concern is all of the stuff that's raging around the world that we, have, we know about and we're challenged by and we can even be really passionate about. We can be drawn into this. And all of us have a big circle of concern and certain things that would fit within that, that, that circle. But what Covey um, suggests and what we've taught before is that we should be primarily concerned with the circle of influence, which is obviously much smaller than what our circle of concern is. But it's particularly about the people and dynamics that you can directly affect. And as we'll illustrate this morning, we're going to, we're going to talk about how, how our political system is even pushes us towards the circle of concern, and we can lose our way from the circle of influence. So, so bear with me this morning as we continue. Another intro thought before we get into the actual thoughts. <laughs> I want to remind you, as we talk about politics, some people, that's really hard. Like, we should never talk about politics in church. Like, we should just never, we can't do that. And I just want to gently remind you um, that um, I have come, well, I have come over the years to to recognize how significantly clear the scriptures are about the, the political context of God's work and God's people. And when I first started noticing this, my eyes were opened. I was discovering that the work of Jesus is more than in my heart or about my invisible soul, but the work of Jesus affects and can subvert how we typically view all of what the world is, including the political world that we find ourselves in. So just to uh, remind you or to inform you of a couple of things, um, like at the Christmas story, 
Every year, um, <laughs> Caesar Augustus comes up because that's in Luke chapter two. Um, the, and Luke is contextualizing, oh, it's Caesar Augustus. At the time of Caesar Augustus, which everybody would have known, that's like the big, massive president of the day, in that day. And then also in the Christmas story, we're told several times about King Herod, who was like the local king. In other words, the scriptures contextualize um, the work of God in a very particular political time. So it seems to me it should be appropriate that we're able to at least address it because we also live in a particular political time. Now, interestingly, the gospel writers um, place, clearly place Jesus in a society with an overarching political structure, but they do not describe Jesus seeking to use the political structures for his purpose. And that's really important for us to understand that they're very clear, this, the gospels are very clear of, about all these socio-political dynamics that are happening. But they're also very clear that Jesus refused to try to use the current day or, or his day's political power structures for the end of his work. Actually, Matthew and Luke record the temptations of Jesus. That's where Jesus was in the wilderness and the devil came to him with three temptations. And one of them was the devil showing him all the powers of the world and saying that he would give Jesus authority over those. In other words, the devil had it to give. It was in his authority and Jesus refused that. And Jesus even refused to the very point of death to, um, tr uh, to dismantle that political system or to try to redeem it. Rather, he brought in his own kingdom. Okay, so there's some, one final preliminary thought. I just want to say this to you all, and please repeat it when democracy confuses you, because I think it should be for the Christian. It is odd to be a Christian in a democracy. It is odd to be a Christian in democracy. Why is it odd? Because our King Jesus, like the captain of our whole thing, he died with no power to bring about salvation. He had no power to bring about salvation. But we live in a world that disperses power to its citizens to make good happen. And so we all, so we'll talk more about this dynamic. And, and it's, it, it can be very difficult to know how to engage. And I would suggest that it's, it, there's an oddness because it is odd um, to be given this, this power. Um, okay, those are my preliminary thoughts. Now to the matters at hand. It was already dense, wasn't it? You already have questions, but um, we'll get more to it. And, and I, as I'm a courageous leader, I've come to know you as a courageous uh, congregation. And so we're doing this uh, together. Okay, so here's the matter at hand. Discerning how man-made political structures might steal our primary orientation to be people that patiently trust God and not our own understanding. Discerning how man-made political structures might steal our primary orientation to be people that patiently trust God and not our understanding. You've heard the phrase, government of the people, by the people, for the people. So this year in Oregon, we will vote for a governor, a U.S. senator. We will vote for U.S. representatives, state representatives, state senators, a mayor here in Salem. <laughs> I think he's unopposed, but anyway, <laughs> still vote for him. Yeah. And five ballot measures just in the upcoming election on November 8th. And at this time, in, in this cycle, which is basically every two years, we're thrown into some sort of um, voting election cycle. And we tend to be drawn up into the drama of our system of government. And sometimes it gets laughable. It gets laughable. So like yard signs, have you seen yard signs that try to use three words 
to convince you of voting for them leads with integrity. You know, I think better said would be uses small phrases. <laughs> Partisan rhetoric here. You know, that would be that would be more accurate. Has anybody been getting text messages? Oh my goodness. Who let the dogs out? I don't know. Like who said that this is a good idea that you can, I don't know. I know I didn't sign up for any of this, but I'm getting it. I'm going to read you one that I go. And I just call it, text messages are like gossiping about someone I haven't heard of. <laughs> Listen, this is the text message. I'm going to take the names out. So-and-so likes to call himself a moderate, but he's not. He votes with so-and-so 85% of the time. We can't afford more of the same. Under so-and-so's watch, homelessness, crime, and cost of living have skyrocketed. <laughs> like, this is our political system where we have to, like, rely on, like, gossip and slander in order to get... Do you know what I'm saying? Or ads on TV where somebody's casting gray tones. You know? We, we have an example here. I don't know if you've seen this one. <laughs> he claims to understand the common person, but is uncommonly tall. Can you trust someone six inches taller than the average man? We don't think so. Don Yehovit, she looks up to you. He's got the party hat on. It's just a picture. It's the picture I found of you. I did, yeah. Paid for for Friends of Don Yehovah for Congress, District 10. <laughs> Honestly, though, it's overwhelming. A lot of decisions within our system are placed within the general public because the government is what Lincoln described in the Gettysburg Address, a government of the people, by the people, for the people. Now, I'm not suggesting that I would want a different government. I don't know. I don't know that I would. But I wanted to help us to see the burden that many of us feel and carry and aren't sure what to do with. The second dynamic, red or blue, the partisan dynamic. Because... From my view, there's so many people to elect, we have a party system. Our two major parties attempt to articulate their own vision of the world and how to best engage around the issues of policymaking, which is what politics is, in essence, is policymaking. So if you wear these blue lenses or you wear these red lenses, you will be able to see the world correctly. Just follow the party line. The byproduct of that is a divided and polarized society. This is the byproduct. We've lost the ability to listen and to compromise. We've resorted to name-calling, mudslinging, and general viciousness. Winston Churchill, Prime Minister uh, of England, um, he says this, democracy is the worst form of government, except for all the others that have been tried. <laughs> And I agree with like the sentiment of that. It is an ugly business. It is, a, it is an imperfect business. Maybe it's the best that humans can come up with in terms of ruling ourselves. Maybe that's true, I would grant that. But it invites us into like a system that resorts to 
demonizing the other side that foments like a, 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 <laughs> a hatred, creates a hatred towards the other side because you have to build your case for your side in order to get majority. The third dynamic that I think that, is, that just takes us into this anxiety is the very good thing about our culture, which is the free press. I'm not saying the press shouldn't be free, but the free press that freely takes. And follow me here as I... All of this dynamic in terms of our political system is intensified by a media system that is embedded into the very fabric of our commerce. Taking on the role as both information provider and advertisers of products, both of those things, the media cannot, be possi cannot possibly be neutral for their goal is our attention and our time. And they have long discovered that inflammatory, fear-based reporting and analysis engages our emotions much more than objective, expository reporting. We watch longer, we click more, all the while furthering our animosity toward the other side, while the media conglomerates make a lot of money. So allow me to summarize the situation we find ourselves in as, as Christians in this political system. It is our well-formed and well-intentioned political structure that places the weight of responsibility on the public, on you and me. The impossibility of individually discerning each decision requires political parties who represent individuals and their policy platform to do this discerning work on our behalf. The current media system easily takes advantage of our responsibility to be an informed citizenry. And because the undergirding motivation of the media industry is often to make money, it cares more about your attention than it does the truth. For the Christian, this all conspires to take us away from our primary orientation towards God, to trust him. Maybe the system doesn't intend to steal our focus away from God, but I believe it does, or at least I would invite us to consider how it does. It ends up presenting itself self as the landscape upon which all of reality exists and functions. And we know that that is not true because God does not fit within our American political system. He's much bigger. But we live as it, as it does define all of reality. James Gerber said it well this week in commenting on the message. He said this, the end goal of modern politics and democracy in particular is that they would be the lens by which we view the world through. The lens of scripture and the kingdom of God is wholly other. It becomes very difficult, if not impossible, to have two sets of goggles on with competing values about the way the world as it really is. We just end up with a distorted version of reality. Might the very system that we live in, as good as it attempts to be, take us into trusting ourselves? And then perhaps, possibly, leave us trying to manage, it, manage the resultant anxiety and, patience, and impatience when things don't go well or according to what I think or we think is best? 
God's word invites us to trust God and lean not on our own understanding and to follow the way that Jesus has provided. This is what we're called to do. So we read those scriptures. Let's review and comment on the passages that we've read as now the table has been set for the way that our system affects us. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, the writer says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. I would argue here that the nature of mankind, I can do it by myself, and the nature of our political situation, we can do it ourselves. It inverts these verses. We tend to lean on human understanding, trust it with all of our heart, and think we know what the straight path looks like. But God asks us to trust him. Now, Hebrew is an interesting language. This is Proverbs, originally written in Hebrew. There are a lot of Hebrew words, and many of them come from three-letter root words. And this word, uh, trust, here, <laughs> I want to play. We got a ball. <laughs> That's a, that looks fun. <laughs> this, the word trust here in the Hebrew comes from a, uh, a root word. Batach. Everybody say, batach. Yeah. This, this can be interpreted to me to be reliant, to be, uh, to trust, to be unsuspecting. We could further to feel safe, to feel carefree. Dancing comes to mind. We'll get to that in a moment. Um, when we were to read a word like this, like trust, we, we tend to think that we know what it means. Um, but I, I just want to further look at this word trust. Um, the word can be described as being unsuspecting and reliant. Unsuspecting and reliant. Now, we live, you and I, we live unsuspecting about gravity. We are not suspicious that gravity is going to suddenly stop working. We don't walk around wondering if it's going to work. <laughs> we just trust blindly. We don't suspect these, the foundational things about our lives. We rely on gravity every day without thinking about it. I mean, have you thought, I mean, maybe in physics class, you're like, oh, that's, that's gravity. There's math. I don't know. <laughs> but you don't think about it. It just is. Now, in our culture, we are encouraged to reconsider everything that appears to be real, appears to be the way that it is, to deny it and create our own good, to create our own pathway. Um, therefore, we feel the burden of controlling it. Once we're in charge of it, we also control it. Um, how tough would it be to evaluate every moment gravity might come into play? Like if you had to do the mathematical equation of like, what would be the force that hit when Isaac falls off the stage? You know, and like, like you could do a complex math problem to figure that out and you would not come away with something that's like, well, gravity may not work this time. Isaac's far too light for that. I mean, it would just, <laughs> like he might defy gravity. He's such a small person. No. <laughs> Well, when it comes to God, this, this idea of trust, trust in the Lord with all of, all of your heart, he is looking for unsuspecting trust. He's looking for us to move past our understanding and trust him. Most of us invite God into our understanding and really want him to validate it or maybe just give a hint. But we start with our own understanding. 
He is looking for us to be like the kid on the dance floor at the wedding. I've been to a lot of weddings. I'm a pastor. And when the music is going, oftentimes it's the little children that are out there first. They are out there first because they are not suspicious about the people around them. They just hear the music. They just know this is a good thing. Actually, we have a great example of this. I think we should just enjoy this for 40 seconds. Isn't that just delightful? Isn't that just delightful? Unsuspecting. Like he's got it already. That's how we're called to be. Like this, this child was just like, oh, this is created for me. You guys should join too. Do you know what I'm saying? Unsuspecting trust, the Christ followers, is invited into a reality that God has created a world, a home for his people, and he is in charge of it, and he is ordering all things, and he doesn't ask for us to take on that burden ourselves, which is very odd for us to hear in our culture, in our way. We're inviting us, he's inviting us into unsuspecting trust to dance with him primarily, to follow his lead, to let go of our preconceptions of what the world should look like. We modern people are trying to form the world in our own image. The world has already been formed and the world has already been reformed. The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, his ascension, and then pouring out the Holy Spirit, a new era began. A new world was formed, and we're called to live into that reality. We follow, this is because Jesus is the way. Jesus is the way through all of these things. We have a guide. We have a model. We have a captain. We have a savior. We have a president already. His name is Jesus. We have the one that orders all things. We have the one that was present at the foundation of the world. We have the one who went through the political cross of Rome, endured it so that resurrection life could happen and that gift is now freely given to all to live in that reality, not to take upon ourselves the burden of trying to control the world. John 14, Thomas, like the other disciples and like us, if we're honest, said, Lord, um, we don't know where you're going. Jesus was talking about dying. How do we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Well, sometimes doubting Thomas gets a bit of a bad rap. He was the one who couldn't believe that Jesus had risen from the dead. 
you know, and then he's the one that said, I just love these words. I believe, but help me come over my disbelief. And perhaps we are a lot more like Thomas than maybe what we consider usually. We think we know the way, but then Jesus starts talking in this way. He talks about death and resurrection. He talks about the first being last, the last being first. He talks about serving others. He talks about loving our enemies. He talks about, or he modeled refusing the temptations of the devil for power. And if we're honest, we have to say, okay, this is foreign to us. We don't know the way. How do we know the way? And Jesus responds, I am the way. It's not just the destination. Jesus is not just the one who has accomplished a spiritual breakthrough, but he is the very essence of the way. He is the path. The way of Jesus confounds what we think about the world. Every generation of Christians must discern again, how is Jesus calling us to trust him and his kingdom? Likewise, we must refuse to think that Jesus' kingdom comes about through the powers of the world. Jesus said to Pilate, you might recall this, I've heard this. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. The kingdoms of this world are ruled by intricate structures, bureaucracy, counterbalances. They are led by powerful, most often wealthy individuals. Western societies have predicated our whole society on self-interest, personal rights. We esteem the value of the individual over the community. But Jesus' way is so different. And I would invite us to be people to say, wait a second, this way of Jesus is different. We don't know the way. Show us the way. And Jesus says, I am the way. As a result of our political system, we feel the pressure to get the right people in the right position to do the right things. When in fact, from a Christian viewpoint, is that you are the right person in the right position to get the right things done. Because of what Jesus has done by his death and resurrection and by gifting you his Holy Spirit, he has given you the, the very keys to his kingdom that can be unlocked. We don't have to wait for someone to be in charge of the world as we know it in order for his way to come about. If God has accomplished salvation by descending to the world to wash feet and die on the cross, we should not presume that we must ascend to power to bring about his kingdom, but should assume that we bring the kingdom by foot washing and cross bearing. And this brings us back to the political cycle being done to us. I'd like for you to think about how much time, energy, and effort is required for us to maintain this system. I'm not, I'm not saying we dismantle it, I'm not even saying we don't participate with it, but we should see it for what it is. And perhaps that time, energy, and effort could be redirected to places and people that we can impact. Okay, coming to a close with some thoughts of application. Let's go back to that circle of concern and circle of influence. I'd like to suggest to you that your vote is the smallest thing you can offer to the world. That's a big statement. The time and energy and effort it requires for us to come to a decision to vote, I think for the average modern Christian, as I just listen and observe, takes us into a place of fear and anxiety. And I'm not saying you shouldn't cast votes or 
be informed, but I just want you to know that loving your neighbor, loving your neighborhood, loving your family, engaging with that is far more significant than your vote. Okay, some other thoughts of application. So we're thinking about practices of patience. It's hard to be patient with the political cycle and the drama. A couple of ideas. Patience of the tongue. Refuse to politically gossip. Doesn't it feel so justified when we think the other person, or the other side is so idiotic? We're just like, this isn't gossip. This is just telling the truth. <laughs> Secondly, patiently discern how you are asked by the Lord to engage politically. Slow down. Slow down. And you feel yourself drawn up into the, dr the drama. Like, whoa, 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 whoa. The drama of the world is the cross and resurrection of Jesus. That's the real drama of the world. I can rest in that. It's been, it is, Jesus said, it is finished. On the cross, he said, it is finished. And the third invitation I would give, focus locally. Alexander Hamilton wrote about this in the Federalist Papers. He wrote about the concern that is the, 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 the government was federalized. In other words, like um, the, U, the overall U.S. government became more powerful than the state governments. Even though he advocated for that, he was also honestly concerned that once that happened, all eyes would go to Washington, D.C. or to the Capitol. And that's what's happening. Most of our focus and our attention goes to far off and we've even lost you know, engagement locally. So as you think about, where do I put my time and effort? Think locally and re re resist the temptation towards the big you know, meta political thing that is always demanding our attention. Okay, I'm gonna give you one minute. <laughs> Maybe you formed a question already. I'm gonna give you one minute to, oh, can you bring me my phone? Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Might have questions already. All right. To, to send a question, and then I will <clears throat> I will respond, or potentially. And if I don't get to your question, I try to text some responses or maybe invite conversations later, if that's if that's you. So, okay. Questions are pouring in. Hi, Jenna. <laughs> this isn't my personal phone number, by the way, so don't save this in your contacts as, as Isaac. This is like a New Hope number. Okay. Thank you guys for the questions. Yeah. Yep, yep. Really, really thoughtful questions. Some good biblical awareness. Here's one that I just... Um, Do, 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 do. 
Um, somebody said, don't prayers impact the circle of concern? Like that small circle of influence. Doesn't the Christian prayer influence um, attend to the circle of concern? I would just think that's a brilliant observation. And that is the means that the Christian is called to, is to pray and to recognize that that is powerful. But most of us really think that our prayers aren't that powerful. What is really powerful is our action in the world. And we don't need to juxtapose action versus prayer. But I, what I want to be clear about is that yes, we should pray for these things. And Pastor Dave Stone here pointed out that we're called to pray for um, all governmental leaders. Paul, Paul encourages us uh, to do that. Very, very good. Um, and somebody said, um, should our biblical lens not influence the way we vote politically on issues that in reality um, expand or transcend even politics? And I would say, yes, if you're a person that chooses to, um, to vote and to participate, like hopefully it is, you are voting for things that are scripturally grounded. Um, absolutely. But I would just caution that, <laughs> just caution that, that um, we, we still, we live within this, like this is the most important thing that we can do. And, um, and I, 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 I just think that we have to be very careful because what we've experienced in recent times is all the fallout as a result of that. Our idolatry, our political idolatry really being revealed. Hmm. So hard to be patient when so many are suffering evil actions of others. How do we have hope? <clears throat> um, may I just offer this, that as our information infrastructure is expanded to where we can hear about you know, something far off immediately, like on our phone, like, oh, this is really bad. We become inundated with hearing all of the problems of the world. And it can almost become like the, the pastime of us to like learn about all the difficult things that are happening. And it does two things. It can't overwhelm us because we just can't process that much. Well, it could do three things. It can overwhelm us. It can numb us to where we don't care about those things anymore. What I think it does most often is it distracts us from our local context or where we can have influence. It distracts us. So as you hear about the suffering of the world, Pray is a great opportunity to do that. Try to remain in a place where you, you actually care about those things um, because you, you should in terms of like feel about them. But I think the, the, the biggest thing that we can do is become aware of things that we can directly affect and participate with. Um, and then we're in a place of um, actually being able to help the world.